As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Matt Goldman. Today we talked with Evan Mendelson, co-founder of Tipsy Elves. What do you think, Michael? Well, I remember watching his episode. When when you mentioned that that he was gonna come on, I, I definitely recall his pitch. So it was great to hear some of the behind the scenes and what happens during that Shark Tank and even post Shark Tank and how helpful Robert has been for them. Um, Because you never, you don't always get to hear that story. So that was really interesting for me. What about you? Yeah, this was our first company we've talked to that's been on a TV show like that. And it was interesting to hear about the differences between what you see on TV and the reality of what their pitch actually is. So on TV, it may be a 10 minute segment, but in reality, they were in the Shark Tank for about an hour. 
So it was really interesting to hear about the process and, and what they ultimately got out of it and the bump that Shark Tank gave them. So let's hop into it. Before we get started, we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Hover takes all the hassle and friction out of registering your next domain name. And if you don't believe me, just ask my wife, Carmen. Hey, babe. Yeah? I need a new website. All right, well, you need to, to get a domain name. <sighs> How do I do that? Do you have a domain name? Yes. No. 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 I don't. Okay. <laughs> I need one. Just use my Hover account. What's what's a Hover? So Hover, H-O-V-E-R, uh-huh. dot com. Okay. And just search for, for whatever domain you want. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Okay, I can do that. Go to Hover.com, get 10% off your entire first purchase by using the code so easy. That's hover.com and the code so easy. CodeShip makes continuous delivery simple and easy. For those of you just getting started, CodeShip has a generous free plan with five private projects included and 100 builds per month. Not enough? You get 20% off three months just for being a RocketShip listener. Plus, the team over at CodeShip spent the past few months talking to customers and just launched a complete redesign of their app with better usability. Go to CodeShip.com slash RocketShip to sign up today. Customer.io is a modern email platform built for startups. Go to Customer.io slash RocketShip to start sending emails that convert. So tell us, what is Tipsy Elves? So Tipsy Elves is an apparel company, primarily e-commerce based, and we sell a collection of Christmas sweaters, accessories, holiday apparel, and we're now branching into other year-round products. So you guys were on Shark Tank, and on that you explain how you had left a very high-paying job as a a lawyer. Is there anything else that you can share in kind of your thought process and leaving that to go pursue, you know, tipsy elves? Sure. Yeah, I I was working at a large uh, law firm doing corporate law, you know, I think the legal profession is very risk adverse and, and uh, I consider myself fairly risk adverse. So I, <laughs> I waited until it felt safe to quit. We had we'd already had our first year of sales and we had a pretty successful first year. So I felt comfortable quitting knowing that, you know, I, th- I, I, I had had the confidence that with one good year that future years would continue to grow. So I'd say my thought process, it was still scary as hell to quit and actually write that email to my, uh, my sure. senior partner. But, um, <laughs> but I, I tried to do it in a way that minimized the downside. I, I sort of figured, okay, if I can quit and make half my salary for two years and then match my salary by year three, that's a price I'm willing to take in order to do my own thing and do something that I, I'm really passionate about. It turned out that I was able to, you know, beat my salary the first year uh, I quit. So that was, oh, it worked out that's fine. Awesome. You were working at the law firm while you guys were in your first year. Where did you guys find the manufacturing for these, for the sweaters? Where did you initially get it done? We did it uh, with some manufacturers in China, and we continue to work with Chinese manufacturers for our sweaters. We obviously didn't know anything about overseas manufacturing at the time. Nick, my business partner, he's half Chinese, so he had some family ties that were in manufacturing back um, in China. And then I also had some contacts through my business, uh, business school program I did 
that kind of connected me through friends of friends and, and connected me to some manufacturers as well. So between those two sources, we were able to kind of get some samples and pick the best manufacturer for the job. Nice. Oh, that's, that's great. I mean, I guess that, that personal and family tie definitely helps. Definitely. So what made you guys decide to go on Shark Tank? Did you try fundraising before that? We did not. Um, well, we, we raised a little bit of money from Nick's parent, uh, parents during our second year of business. And we were at a point where we really wanted to expand our inventory. You know, we had seen, we had had a pretty good track record so far, and but we saw a ton of potential to really expand our inventory. So we, we had a big financing need there. And we also just recognized the, the value of, partnering with one of the sharks on the show. So I'd say for us, it was a combination of need-based with also really wanting to get one of those relationships. So that being kind of your first VC pitch, how did you prepare for it? Did the show help you prepare for the pitch? Because, I mean, your pitch was great when you guys got uh, thank up you. there. I didn't, it didn't look like the first time. So <laughs> what did that look like? Uh, we, we had to prepare a lot. The producers definitely help groom you for it. Um, so, you know, they tell you to shoot for a certain length of time. They kind of, they're, they're more interested in making for good TV. But I think a lot of times what makes good TV also makes a good pitch, you know, as far as yeah. good hooks and getting the interest of viewers, but also getting the interest of the sharks. So, but yeah, it was, uh, it definitely was just, it took a lot of prep and we, we knew our numbers very well. And we knew that, I think similar to as if we were pitching a, a VC that the initial impression uh, when, when someone sees their, it's a sweater company was going to, is that uh, like, this is just some sort of novelty sweater company with minimal sales. So we kind of knew that our sales figures would be a, a pretty good hook. So we saved that for midway through our pitch to kind of grab their interest uh, right when, right when we thought maybe it would be w- uh, waning a little bit. But yeah, it was, it, it, I, we thought it went pretty well. But yeah, it took it took a good month to really prepare and, and get all our numbers down and make sure we were we were on top of our stuff once we went into the tank. So, did you guys have a kind of a game plan or a shark that you guys wanted to have as an investor? We went in really kind of thinking Robert and then Dane and John. Those were sort of the two. We personally, just from our experience watching the show, really liked Robert and felt mm. like he would be more likely to make himself available than maybe some of the other sharks would. And then Damon, obviously because of his retail and manufacturing experience, we liked him. I think everyone wants to kind of partner with Cuban, but we also recognize that he is very tech focused and he always likes apps and, you know, that sort of thing. And we're, we're, we're more or less, I mean, we have the e-commerce side of our business, but we're an apparel company. So uh, I, we weren't really sure how good of a fit he would be. So I'd say we really went in focusing on Robert and, and Damon John. During the show, there was one point after you got two offers, one from Robert and one from Mr. Wonderful, uh, where you guys whispered in each other's ears briefly and then made a decision. Was there more time that went into that decision off camera or do you really have to you know, decide on the spot? And in that case, what would you discuss? Yeah, that that whispering was pretty real time. The show, they do film a lot more than they air. So we probably filmed for about an hour and then it cuts down to, you know, six or 
seven minutes. Well, the pitch was an hour. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so they they must really they added really it grilled you. Uh, we're kind of we're, we're becoming very familiar with how you know the world of TV and editing. We've done some updates. <laughs> okay. Like we did, uh, we had an update earlier this year, and I think for that it was like two or three full days of filming for you know, a five minute update. So it's, yeah, it's pretty crazy the way things get edited down, but yeah, the actual whispering that was real time. And Nick and I think a lot alike. So I think, you know, if, if, if our minds work, work differently or we, we tended to disagree more about stuff, it probably would have taken longer, but I think we were both thinking Robert. So as soon as one of us whispered to the other, you know, I think we should go with Robert and yeah, yeah, I think I think I whispered that to Nick, and then Nick said, "Yeah, I think so too." And and then and then was like, "Okay, let's do this." And then we turned turned back to the sharks and accepted uh, Robert's offer. There was also a point when Robert made the first offer to you guys, um, which I think was the offer that you guys ended up accepting. But you guys turned to Damon. And I don't know if that happened in real time, but in the show, you guys were sourcing other offers. And he looks annoyed. Were you guys ever worried about losing the offer? How how was did the negotiation actually play out? Oh, you mean Robert looked annoyed when we looked at Damon? Right, to yeah. see, you know, does he that have an offer? Real, and I, I don't know if that really happened, yeah, but... I, it may have been... Um, I think our take was... I've seen people lose offers before, but by doing that, by shopping around, we... But I also think if you do it in a nice way, I, I rarely see one of the sharks go out if you do it in a nice way and you're not obnoxious about it. So I think we said something like, well, Damon seems to be, you know, awfully quiet over there. We'd love to see if, if right. he's got some interest rather than being like... Cool, Robert. Uh, now we're gonna go shy. I mean, we, we did it. I think we did it in a in like a a uh, a, a nice way. So yeah, and it worked. Yeah, out, exactly. So, and I think yeah. the sharks understand that you know you are there pitching to five five of them, and you do want to see all your options before you make a decision. And, and sometimes the sharks take longer than the others to make up their mind. So you never want to. Maybe Damon comes in and gives us three times the valuation that Robert does, and then all of a sudden your decision making becomes a lot tougher. So I think they understand. It's it's sometimes they like to posture and act like they're pissed, but if you do it in a nice way, I think they're okay about it. So that's cool. The other thing that I think it was Mr. Wonderful was trying to beat down your evaluation um, of two million. Uh, I was curious, how fast did you guys cross that two million evaluation point after the show? Um. I'd say pretty quickly. I mean, so we, we film and then this, our, our episode aired December, like mid December, 2013. And I'd say, yeah, pretty, I I think it happened pretty much right that, that Christmas season. I mean, it would probably already pass that valuation before our episode even aired just because we had a lot of organic growth year over year. And then the episode hits and we get that whole extra exposure from the show and then you know so i I say i'd say really probably by by thanks by thanksgiving of 2013 we had probably already surpassed that valuation and then it just kind of built as our 2013 sales numbers sort of solidified throughout the season and did the shark take effect did it continue or was it like a a burst and then you guys still had to you know figure out how to get to, I think you guys are at what, 8 million last year, right? Yeah. Shy of that, like about between seven and eight is, is right where we kind of felt like I think seven and a half last year. 
And yeah, I think, you know, it's tough to measure because obviously you can, you measure traffic and sales from the night of the show. And that's obviously like a huge pop. So that's like, that's like Mm -hmm. traffic you're not going to get from anything other than basically being featured on a, on a highly viewed show. But then you get like a tail effect after that where your, your traffic's definitely padded for, you know, a couple weeks trailing. And then after that, it gets really hard to differentiate between organic growth and Shark Tank and, and what percent is attributed to, to the exposure from Shark Tank. So I, I, I think it's really powerful. We always sort of say we think it probably boosted our business by, I don't know, 30 you know, it kind of pads our traffic and sales by 30% when you look at things overall, maybe more. It's, it's just really hard to differentiate between what's doing what. But I, one thing I think is really helpful is we've continued to get Shark Tank related updates. So we've, and we're, you know, filming for more stuff currently. So it, uh, oh, cool. I think that's really when it, you really start seeing a lot of impact because you get that same group of loyal viewers who are seeing are the tipsy elves brand over and over again. And you know, they always say with commercials, you kind of have to see a commercial, I think three times before it really, you know, you really remember what it's about or, or what the, what the brand is about. And I think we're probably seeing similar results with shark tank where each time we air, it's just, we're, we're becoming more and more familiar to that huge viewer uh, viewership from the show. So another kind of topic that was discussed on the show a lot was going into retail. And you guys kind of stood your ground and said, you know, this is something that we want to try. And Robert stood behind you. What ended up happening with that? Did you guys go retail? Did you stay online? So we actually, I think it was Cuban that just said, you guys are shooting yourself in the foot. And we were kind (laughs) of uh, resistant and like, you know, we told them we're adding incremental sales and why wouldn't we do retail? And I think we've kind of fallen. There's like a middle ground we've found. We've we've definitely pulled back a ton. I'd say last year was the most noticeable, like annoyance, a retail annoyance for us, where we had these buyers who were competing with us on paid online paid search, even though we discussed with their buyers and said, you know, obviously we can't have you guys bidding on tipsy elves related terms and that sort of thing. And, a lot of them would, would overlap with us on paid search channels. And that's, that just kills the wholesale model right there because you're already selling to them at half the margin. And then you get two or three of your buyers competing on your brand terms. And all of a sudden, your whole brand marketing strategy gets way more expensive. After last year, I'd say we pulled back a lot this year. And we, we basically wrote a list of four to five retailers that were we're going to work with this year. And we basically said, unless it's like a really good strategic opportunity for us, we're going to pull back a lot. We really, I really like what Bonobos and some of these other brands do where they make it. So if you want one of their products, you got to go to bonobos.com, you know, and, and that's kind of what we, yeah. what we want to do. And to the extent retail will really help us from a, a brand or strategic standpoint then great, but otherwise we're going to really just try to, keep the customer for ourselves. So did you guys pull back from Amazon too then? Not so much Amazon because Amazon's a tricky one. I mean, they're almost like, you know, like an affiliate and it's such a huge channel that it's tough to ignore. And there's just a lot of people that are generically shopping on Amazon who aren't familiar with our brand, who still find our sweaters on Amazon. So 
Okay. So for Amazon, we're, we're, we're keeping our account active there and, and continuing to sell on Amazon. But it's really the channels where they were, they were competing with us on brand traffic that were most hesitant to work with moving forward. Have you found that Robert's been able to continue to help you guys over the years in different ways? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a, I mean, I don't know a lot of other entrepreneurs from the show personally, so I don't know what their relationships are like with, with their invest investor sharks, but we feel like we have a great relationship with Robert. It's, it's kind of like a mentorship friendship with him. And we've, you know, by now we've probably met with him four or five different occasions. We spent a couple of days with him in New York about a month ago, a couple months ago. And we did like a press tour with him where within two or three days, we went to Rachel Ray, Good Morning America, and we did a 2020 segment. And all of those featured Tipsy Elves as part of the, wow. the shows. And that was all thanks to Robert. So obviously his ability to help promote us has been huge. And then he's also been really helpful when it just comes to like high level strategy. He's got a really, I mean, obviously he's a really sharp guy, but he also has a great team that we've worked a lot with. And and uh, he's a big reason that we've decided to really push our year around products, you know, really kind of helping us wrap our, our heads around the seasonality of our business and, and what that looks like long term and how much healthier we would be if we were able to do more year around sales. So, yeah, I, I'd say strategically, he's also been really helpful, too. How did you guys originally get on the show? We actually had a producer reach out to us. Just She just emailed us because she had seen our seen our sweaters at a party and thought they were cool and asked the person like what brand they were. And, uh, they were specifically slotting companies for a Christmas episode. So I think she figured it was a perfect fit. So we, we were lucky enough to have them come to us and then we still had to go through the normal application process, but you know, to have a producer kind of hold our uh, kind of run our application through the process rather than just be in a big pool of 40,000 applicants was, was pretty awesome. That's a huge advantage. And what, you know, serendipity. So you guys on the last update said you're going to grow to 50 million is what you're projecting. How do you guys get there? Um, I think that's really gotta be, that's the level where we're, uh, we're, a, a fairly established brand. And I think to be a fairly established brand requires us to have products for all occasions throughout the year. I think we're probably the best known brand that sells Christmas sweaters and focuses on kind of that, that holiday niche. But I don't think Christmas sweaters alone will get us to 50 million. In fact, I, I know they won't. I think it's really becoming a year round business where we're selling t-shirts we're selling a bunch of different product lines and 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 that's really our main focus for the year is are you guys producing this stuff on demand we are purchasing pre-purchasing everything pre-stocking inventory so so how do you guys decide with a new product if you're you know pre-stocking inventory what's your process like for evaluating whether it's a hit or not when to cut the cord on it if it's not setting selling well for the stuff that we manufacture in the States, like our shirts, it's easier for us to do small runs and test them first. And we're also getting a little smarter about running surveys with some of our loyal customers and, and getting their impression on what they like and, and having them vote. So we're doing a lot more kind of survey oriented ordering 
our stuff that we manufacture abroad, like our sweaters is a little tougher. Luckily for us, we've got, you know, four holiday seasons under our belt. So we're able to take data from previous years and really use that to, to plan accordingly when we're, when we're ordering, um, you know, a new, new order for the season. But yeah, it's not a, it's not a fine science by any means. And we definitely have some, some hits and some misses every year. And we kind of have to build that into our, our margins. The fact that, you know, for every five designs that we, we order the right quantity of, there might be one that we order too many or too few of and, and how that's going to impact our financial situation for the year. So what's something that you would have taught yourself starting this out again that you've learned now? Or maybe some advice from, from Robert even that was very timely along the, the path. I think we, we probably waited to hire in some cases. I think there's a tendency when you, I mean, don't get me wrong, we hire very conservatively and we only, we, we, but I think we may wait too long in some cases. I, I think now we've gotten smarter, but when you start something yourself, you've kind of got your hands in everything. And yeah. to kind of, you sort of have to eventually give up that sense of control of all aspects of the business and just start hiring people that can help, help you in the things that they're better at than you, than you might be. So I think there's, we probably waited a little long in some cases to bring on those, those key people to really help us out. I mean, at one point, it's like I was doing the designs myself, you know, and I'm not a, I'm not a designer or we were outsourcing programming to Pakistan or India. And, and I was up till 3 a.m. on Skype every night talking to them just to try to save save costs. And, you know, it's in some cases you have to wait because you just don't have the money to to hire. Um, but I think even when we did start having the money, we probably waited a little too long in some cases to bring in those key people. Yeah, that's interesting and, and really good advice. Also, incredibly hard to do. <laughs> yeah, when we want to control uh, so Definitely. much, um, you know. But so, thank you so much for coming on. Where do we keep up with you and Tipsy Elves online? So you can go to tipsyelves.com. You can also subscribe to our email list. We've we've got a lot of new stuff coming out. So our big focus this year are um, we're working on a bunch of collegiate products. So we have collegiate sweaters, jumpsuits, fanny packs we're working on, kind of like your ultimate tailgating accessories. We also have uh, a bunch of T-shirts that we're coming out with, St. Patrick's Day, Valentine's, uh, shirts for different occasions. And probably my, my personal favorite is we're, we're working on a huge patriotic line of sort of American flag-inspired stuff. And, you know, we really want to be the go-to place for your your – you know, Country Western Festival, Coachella, Fourth of July, and just if you want some some badass uh, patriotic gear. So, I saw the jumpsuit. That was yeah. Excellent. We've got some awesome uh, windbreakers. Uh, we're working on a ski suit, so you could have you know like a pretty pretty badass ski suit when you're hitting the slopes. And uh, yeah, so we've got a bunch of fun stuff that we're working on this year, and it'll all be uh, up on the site. You know, hopefully in the next couple months here. That's awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much. Cool. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the time. Cheers. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our newsletter, where twice monthly we send out actionable advice for entrepreneurs and exclusive links to AMAs with our guests. That's rocketship.fm. Sign up today.
and I'll fly on the wings of a butterfly, high as a treetop, down again, put my bag down, taking my shoes off, walking the carpet, a green velvet. Oh. 